Hey there, Fellowship family. Welcome to your one-stop shop for all things church life. My name is Mark Francis, and I am once again your host for today. And it has been several weeks since we've been in these seats together with this podcast, and I'm excited to get back in it. You know, believe it or not, last time we did this podcast, um, the last episode, I have the same guest with me today. And I'm excited to have him back because this is going to be a conversation that is emerging of the idea of what the Fellowship pod, Fellowship Family Podcast is meant to be about, but also the Sermon Spotlight. Last um, Sermon Spotlight, we covered where Mark Carey was in Romans 12, 1 through 2. And there are so many additional topics and so many additional things to share that I felt that it was important to have an addendum conversation with the worship ministry. So I have Rose Locke with me once again today. How are you, Rose? I'm fine. Thank you. Good to see you. And I have Mike Lukens today. Once again, hey. pastor of worship. How are you? Yeah, good. So was it before Easter that we had that last podcast? Yeah. Yeah, we need yeah. to go back and So that was like a year that. ago? It felt like it, <laughs> yeah. right? We <laughs> Was it after Christmas and before Easter? After yeah. Christmas okay. and before Easter. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and so the it's it's interesting because the purpose and vision of the Fellowship Family podcast, what we're here all about, is to really just share, um, you know, kind of just thoughts and ideas of what is happening in the life of our church, how it relates to the family of Fellowship Bible Church, and um, we've over the years we've been able to do things that are related to the. The, the family ministries, the focus, we've been able to spotlight different um, visions of where the church is going. We celebrated the 40th and heard stories and testimonies. And here, this is just kind of, a, I'm viewing as a one-off conversation where we get a chance to dive into this idea of worship. So let's just get right into it because I would recommend that anybody watching and listening should go back and look at the Sermon Spotlight podcast from this week so you can kind of get up to speed on Romans 12, 1 and 2. But um, let's just share that passage real quick first so we have at least context and perspective. And Romans 12, 1 through 2 says this, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is the will of God is, that is good and acceptable and perfect. There, there is a lot to unpack there, and over the last four weeks in our church body, we have been unpacking that from the sermon. But, Mike, I'll turn to you first. And, you know, being the pastor of worship, I know you and I over the years have read many books, been to many conferences. Rose, you're the same way. We've, we've been swimming in this world. What does this passage really say to you, um, and, and how, how did Mark Carey kind of elaborate things that you've been wrestling with over the many years? Yeah, so... Um... I was excited to to get to this passage in, yeah. in Romans because um, one thing personally, this was the first passage that I was able to lead a devotional on when I was in probably ninth or tenth grade. <laughs> cool. Um, huh. That we used to meet together before school with um, some you know other students, and uh, we would pray together. But I, I, my youth leader equipped me to lead through this um, passage. I hadn't studied any of the other um, hmm. chapters of Romans, which I don't recommend doing that, but uh, <laughs> just jumping in there at chapter 12. But so, so for me, this was, as a young believer, was one of the first passages that I wrestled with and memorized. And uh, it's always been 
you know, important to me and, mm. and just kind of what is my life to be about and uh, what, what has God called me, called us as believers to be about. So it was exciting to get to that. Mm. Um, you know, I'm sure uh, Mark could have spent another six, ten weeks on this passage and yeah. continue to unpack it and uh, given us more insight into to what, what Paul is kind of directing us to here. And this being part of the worship ministry, it's exciting because this is our heart and our passion. So when we right. get to this verse, we're right. like, yeah, Mark, can you just just keep preaching? Yeah. Because I mean, it just speaks so much to our hearts, I know. And I mean, I'll, I'll turn to each of you guys. I mean, when when you look at this concept of worship, <laughs> what what really jumps out? I mean, what what in your mind is the definition of worship? For us. Well, uh, I think that that's a really hard question, yeah. and you'll hear all kinds of. Um, I think they're trite, uh, and I think you'll hear people say it's worship. You know, yeah. it's ascribing worth to God, or you'll hear people talk about the concept of bowing down before the Lord. And I think those are all important things, but I think that at its core, worship is that that almost the, your worldview. So your worldview is that you have been created by a God who wants to have relationship with you and a God who has, um, has reconciled your sinful being to himself. And so when you see the world that way, everything you do. When you make supper for your family, when you, you know, Mother's Day is coming, when you um, sacrifice a night's sleep for the good of your child, mm. when you um, when you arrive early on Sunday morning to shovel the sidewalk, all of those things are through the lens, through the worldview that a God who loves you and created you is more important than your self-centered, prideful desires and wants, which is exactly what I think this passage is saying, mm -hmm. is that we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to ascribe honor and worth and glory on behalf of our Lord who did those things for us. Mm -hmm. so, I, so trying to define worship for me is um, just really, really challenging because I see it so much as a core part of who we are as people and how we view the world all the time. Yeah. But it, but it's so difficult to flesh out. You know, you see yeah. a passage like this and, and we think life of worship, that is so nebulous. <laughs> what does that really look like? Yeah, just unpacking it even more. I mean, I, I appreciated where Mark was going. You know, you don't, the word worship in the English language is just difficult to, to really pin down of what it means. Because I think when the text was written, whether it be Greek or Hebrew, there's different words that were used. And, and there is four or five different words that are now being translated into the word worship. We heard Mark kind of mention that the words worship service are not used in the Bible. <laughs> and so just from that context of worship service, um, that made me start thinking, wow, where, where are these words coming from then? You know, so Mike, can you unpack any of that more for us? Yeah, so kind of to... Help us understand it. You know, the word love obviously means a lot of different things. And if you go back to the Greek, it, there's there's three or four different words that are used that we translate love. So to just say, I love something, we need to kind of get mm. some more context to it. Mm -hmm. So the same thing with the word worship. Mm. It was, um, you know, used in the Old Testament 
and when they translated the Old Testament into Greek, the Septuagint, um, they took um, these words that were used in the Old Testament. And uh, there's kind of, like you said, three or four kind of key ones. And um, proskinane, uh, letruane, and sebamai. Hmm. And there's another word that uh, kind of has the root of, of doulos, which is the word for slave and the slave master relationship that are all translated as uh, into the English as worship or service. Hmm. And uh, so the first one has this idea of kind of bowing down or prostrating. It's a, it's like, what, how do we physically respond to, to someone that, that is greater than us? And it, it varied from just a, a greeting of someone that you've respected to a king. And uh, so that, that's kind of the idea. The second one, Letrain, is, and I'm sorry that I'm butchering these because I'm not, not a Greek scholar. <laughs> I, you're doing better um, than I would. Go but, for it. Uh, has the idea of service to uh, a king. So in in the, the the Old Testament, it was the idea of the the nation of Israel were this called out chosen nation who were to serve God as His holy priesthood, um, and the it's kind of this official service to to someone who is rescued and and you know has this authority over uh, someone, and that's the word that we see here in. Uh, in Romans 12, 1 mm. is that mm-hmm. idea of um, this service, you know, kind of a official, I don't want to use the word religious service, but um, that's kind of the idea of um, in, in relationship to some actions and, and ways. And then the other one with the, the doulos um, root has this idea of he's our master and, and we're to serve him as as like a master-slave relationship. Mm-hmm. So the key themes that I'm really hearing is a lot of serving. I mean, there's this idea of bowing down or paying homage, which is more in the Old Testament context. And I think I remember Mark mentioning that, the, the proskinine, proskineo yeah. kind of context. But this passage is the serving word right. for Greek. And so when you're looking at the passage itself, you know, going back to it, it actually uses the word service in it, but saying this is your spiritual service of worship. Um, man, and that speaks to lifestyle, I think, a little bit more than just this one time showing up for a worship service or one time singing a worship song or being a, a part of a worship ministry. There's so many words in the English language that kind of we associate this with that have kind of gravitated to, to singing, <laughs> that have gravitated to just a location and a place. How does that relate to a lifestyle of worship and where, where did those merge? And, and that's kind of the, the conversation I wanted to flesh out. If you, even this, the idea of this where it's translated as spiritual service of worship, the word that's matched up with the words service, lettering, mm-hmm. is um, the word that we get logic from. Hmm. So it's, 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 it doesn't really carry this spiritual um, not physical idea to it, but it's, it's, it's the logical service that we provide. And I think the argument that Paul's making here and, and what he's saying, he's in, in, I urge you brethren by the mercies of God. And w- that can either relate to the, the, the direct passage of chapter 11, where he's saying that 
you know, God showed mercy to you by the nation of Israel becoming disobedient, and he's going to show mercy to them by your disobedience. And regardless, mm -hmm. God is is uh, to be praised because of his mercy, or if it's the whole of the, the first 11 chapters, um, the mercy of God to bring right. salvation. He's saying, I'm, I'm using the, the mercies of God to make this plea to you to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. And the idea of logic there is like it, one person translate it, translates it as understanding worship or understanding service. So there's this engagement of our mind in that service of needing to be reminded of the mercies of God. And when we see the mercies of God, it's just like logical that we would mm -hmm. present our bodies to him. He, he's rescued us. He's brought us into his kingdom. He is, uh, has authority. He's worthy to, to be bowed down to. Um, he's called us into this royal priesthood. You know, we see that in First Peter chapter 2, kind of mm -hmm, almost mm -hmm. the same calling that the nation of Israel had at Mount Sinai mm -hmm. is the same words that he uses there of now the church of being called out to serve and to declare mm -hmm. the excellencies of God. Um, so this idea of understanding worship, except which is your understanding worship is your reasonable service of worship. Logical. Logical. Yeah. yeah. Um, so to me that, that what that does is, um, and I don't know if we're ready to jump here, but for our worship services, the, 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 the goal then is to help people be presented with the mercies of God and to, to understand that and rehearse that, as we say, mm -hmm. like the gospel, right. so that we're motivated to present mm -hmm. our bodies as a living sacrifice. And, and that's our service of worship. Mm. And, and it's logical. And it takes us back, you know, to the idea of being, you know, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So, so part of the renewing of your mind is certainly being in God's word and hearing God's word taught to you. But part of the renewing of your mind is that gathering back with other people who can encourage you in your faith and who can remind you, hey, God is sovereign. Hey, God is, um, you know, God is all powerful. Hey, you have hope for a glorious future. And the, the gathering together of the people um, helps us to do what Mike is saying, which is to be reminded of those mercies of God. And so the gathering of the people is just key for us to be able to worship. So it's almost, um, we, we call it worship, we call it our worship center, although I think that um, we tried to change that, but I'm such a creature of habit as we're discovering, I still call it the worship center because um, worship is what happens as we live our lives, not entirely what happens in that gathering. Mm -hmm. That gathering becomes the opportunity to remind each other of why we worship. Yeah, and we're doing what Paul does, is ur urging one another to, yeah. by the mercies of God, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, to, to worship Him through our service, what He's called us into. And I think the what happens then is Paul goes on to, kind of detail what what that looks like what that service is you know in the, in the old testament the service mm -hmm. was 
focused around the tabernacle and the temple, and it was focused around sacrifices, mm-hmm. and it was focused around festivals and, and different things. Uh, that was those were the prescriptions that that God laid out for them to worship. And now, through through um, what Christ has done, um, that worship is presented through Him um, as a lifestyle, mm-hmm. and it's it's you know it's kind of interesting that. You know, in the Old Testament, the the worshiper and the offering were were separate, and now Paul is kind of bringing those two together. Mm. You know, now mm-hmm. the worshiper is the sacrifice, mm-hmm. is the offering, mm-hmm. yeah. a living sacrifice. Absolutely. There's there's a whole, I mean, extra study that we can go into of of us being the sacrifice and us being the temple. And you're saying those worlds are merging together uh, that, you know, our bodies are a temple, you know, therefore glorify God with your body and that we are this holy sacrifice and we're to present ourselves as that sacrifice. Just the analogy of the Old Testament prescriptions for worship. Mm. And now what Paul is giving with this somewhat lifestyle call of spiritual service of worship to, it, it really just blows up what it, what God has done with this idea of worship to, man, there's a such more higher calling now. And we're not just going to the location or the place right. for worship, you know, and it's cool that we're living in this time and place now where Jesus in John 4 was saying, you know, an hour is coming when neither this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will go worship the Father. And saying he's pointing, look at this mountain, we're not going to these mountains, we're not going to these places for worship. We are this in this time now where we're the temple, we're the sacrifice, and we're this every day, every moment life of worship. Yeah, and I think if we want to know what that looks like in practice, which is part of what we're trying to flesh out here, all we have to do is read the next, you know, hmm. do not consider yourself more highly than your, you know, do not do not think of yourselves, this is NIV, mm. do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. So how often during the day do I think that someone should serve me? How often during the day do I think that my opinions or my ideas are more important than the people around me? Um, how often during the day do I try to exert my, um, just my being above the being of someone else? And this goes back and it relates directly to John Morrison's recent sermons about social justice and us considering ourselves more important than other people. Mm. And so, right, like, Within two within two two sentences, we have a whole thing to consider about what that worship looks like in our day in day out lives. And what you just said is so key because the passage you read was verse three, the very next verse in Romans twelve. And so you, you can't just take this passage, verse one and two, and then expect to fully comprehend it without continuing to read. Mm the rest of the passage because it fully unpacks what a lifestyle of worship is of using your gifts of being in the body of Christ and we're all individuals but we're all part of the body and each one of us have gifts to differ according to the grace given to us and that's all part of serving mm-hmm. it is is being a part of the body of Christ to then go do the things that God has called us to do with the gifts with the talents um, that he's given us and that is worship and so putting it back into God's word, just keep reading. Right. <laughs> it's, it's right there for us, which is great. And then, and then you take the idea of this, the priesthood of believers and, and God's call for us to be a, a royal priesthood who um, do this service. We're called into service as, as priesthood. This is what the service looks like. 
in order that we might declare the excellencies of God. So as we do that, God is honored and glorified mm-hmm. and he is worshiped mm. and, uh, yeah. and praised and, and declared excellent yeah. in what he's done. So if we have this kind of just buttoning up this topic, this perspective that our lives are a life of worship, our life of service, you, you hinted this a little bit ago, Mike, but then we're, we're still called to gather. Right. We're still called to, to get together. And that's our terminology. And we, we didn't invent this. We've heard other people use the corporate gathering, you know, not the worship service, not the worship time, but this corporate gathering together, we're still called to do that. So if the Old Testament has dozens and hundreds of prescribed methods of what we're called to do for worship, where, what is the prescription um, for our New Testament, our church age, the time that we live in now post-cross? What are the prescriptions for us to do when we gather? Yeah, so there's there's orderly um, directives of of how to gather um, orderly and, and things like that, and how to set up um, leadership and things like that. But but there aren't those specifics, like Mark said, there aren't the specifics of you know you, you do this first and then this and you know right um, the Lord's table and and uh, and baptism are the ordinances given to the church hmm. um, that they need to be a part of when the church gathers um, of what we do. Hmm. Um, and and then there's call to you know to sing to one another um, in Colossians and um, there, there's that call, um, but again not the specifics of what what that looks like. Uh, so we need to, I think, go back and and kind of follow Paul's lead here in in what he's doing. He's he's urging them by the mercies of God to present their bodies as an act of worship and. That's the that, that's called. It's it's not like we were worshipers for seventy five minutes once a week. We're we're worshipers. Period. Twenty four seven, and the gathering together. And and we we tried to be intentional about using that word of, to describe. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. changing it from this is the worship service to yeah. the gathering for worship or the gathering of believers. Um, so the gathering becomes then this, um, Rose and I were talking about earlier, she called it the pep rally, um, <laughs> yeah. but it, it, in a I sense like it. it is, it's, it's a, yeah. you know, it, uh, come on, you know, here is God and what he's done and, and the greatness and what we deserved and what he's given us and, um, his grace and salvation that's been provided, the gospel. Yeah. And I was even thinking about that analogy. I mean, I said it, I said it in fun, yeah, like, right. Um, but I was thinking about the things that a pep rally in a high school accomplishes, right? And we all, probably most of us have been to a high school pep rally, but there are some things that were accomplished in those moments. There was, there was the building of unity among Mm. a group of people, right? And doesn't, you know, don't, don't we know that one of the ways the world will know us is because we're united, even Mm. though we're from all these different walks. So one of the things that happens in that gathering time is that we become united. We have a unified experience. We take communion together or Mm. this Sunday, for example, we're going to dedicate children. So we're going to, we're going to see those children together. We're going to see those families. We're going to love those families. We're going to commit as a body to help raise. And that's something we do together. So it builds unity uh, among us. Um, it builds excitement and energy for the game that's about to happen, mm-hmm. right? It's fun. It's, um, I, I remember in my high school pep rallies learning the school song, mm-hmm. right? Because the principal was like, 
the students don't know the school song and we need to have this like strength that comes from our stands when we sing this song. And so when we sing together as believers, something that we know together and we're declaring truth in a unified way, how much more important is that than my silly high school pep rally? <laughs> but, it, but it accomplishes similar things. And I would just, I would just caution though also that it's not, I'm not there to get to this mountaintop high to then live my life the rest of the week, to then come back, to get my high again, to then go back and live my life, to then come back and get my high. No, it's this constant lifestyle of worship where we should be pursuing God and worshiping Him during the course of the week. So it's not this, oh, I'm so down in the dumps and I need my batteries <laughs> charged kind of idea. It's coming back together to do it corporately with other people who have the common belief system in Jesus Christ, knowing that he is our true worship leader. Right. And then when we are individually, yeah, it, we, we've, we miss it. We do feel apart. You know, we have our families and we might have some neighbors or friends who we can have that a community group together, but you can't just go on the one corporate gathering to rehearse the gospel <laughs> during the course of the week. Well, and that's why I think though the corporate is so important, Mark, because there are going to be weeks when I come over here on Saturday that I've had a crappy week and I'm discouraged and I've taken my eyes off Christ and I'm mm. not, I'm not looking to him. And I need um, Colin to lead me in worship to remind me of the mercies of God that week. But then the next week, maybe Colin's had a really rough week and he needs me to greet him well and to remind him of the mercies of God. So there is that um, needing of one another component mm -hmm. to bring us out of those struggles mm -hmm. as well. And I think that's an important part of the gathering is to say to one another, you know, uh, what love could remember, mm. you know, uh, or to say to each other, his praise the Lord, his mercy is more because someone in our body needs to hear that that week as well. Mm -hmm. And we that week we get to be the ones to proclaim it to them. Yeah. So there's this needing of one another that comes out in that body, which is just then another reflection of, of God and community. And it's, it's just important. The gathering is important and there's yeah. a lot of value there. Yeah. And the other thing that we've, we've kind of labeled it as is uh, reorienting our lives mm. around the gospel. So, you know, we've talked about this idea of rehearsing the gospel, but it's it's also this reorienting where throughout the week we're, we're bombarded with uh, the world's perspective and views and, and things like that. And we come in kind of <laughs> with our compass in the wrong direction mm. and we need to get that reoriented back to God and, and his word and the gathering helps accomplish that. Mm. And, and to that. bring it full circle, we need to be transformed by the renewing right. of our minds. Yeah. yeah. So let's go back to actually what we do. Because mm -hmm. in that worship time, you might just say, okay, we're going to be rehearsing the gospel. We'll be reorienting our lives around the gospel. But how does singing play a role mm -hmm. with this? Because if you go back to years and years on end, the, the liturgical order of worship, there's, you know, confessions, there's times of repentance, there's times of adoration, there's times of praise and giving attention to God's word. I mean, we're not, we're not reinventing the wheel here. I mean, this is 2021 and over the many course of centuries, people have been doing church. They've been gathering together and doing certain things. So where does singing play a role in that kind of liturgy of the service yeah. um, that we do? Great question. And it's encouraging to me that you know, most often when you say the word worship, people think of, of singing 
and you know we've gotten this far into the conversation, <laughs> and we really haven't. Yeah, we talked yeah. a lot about worship and this first mention of singing, really. So um, that's encouraging to me because uh, it's a part of it, but not the whole and not mm-hmm. the definition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously God commands us to sing. You know, there's hundreds of of commands in the scriptures to sing, um, and in His wisdom and, and grace, um, it's uh, something that is enjoyable to do for most people, I think. Most um, people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it engages our minds and our hearts, and, and that's another aspect. And it's something that, like Rose said, it, we're unified in doing it. So everyone is is singing the same words. Uh, everyone is is breathing in and out at the same time. Mm. And, and mm. there's this unifying picture of yeah. it. Um, where we're not all bringing our own thoughts and our own opinions, and but we're we're all declaring this same truth together, and uh, you know it it accomplishes that. And my singing of the lyrics, you know, even just you know lyrics that Rose just uh, recited, as I do that with faith, I'm hopefully encouraging the person next to me hmm. that these words are true, hmm. and you can trust them. And these are the mercies of God, and He's called us into a relationship to serve Him as an act of worship. Um, so singing is is obviously a big part of what we do, and because it's again it engages our minds and our hearts, um, it allows us to do that together. It proclaims truth. Um, again, we've we've said that our songs are our, our sung theology. Mm. Um, it's it's what we believe to be true about God and His Word. Um, and, uh, it, God's commanded us to do it. So well, Rose, you're, I, you're a great musician. So oh, that's sweet of you tell too. us like, how do you, well, I've been, I've been thinking about mind, music. That yeah. Like? That yes. it, I've been thinking about music and I've been thinking about why we sing and why would God, why would God command us to sing? And what came to my mind was I have a music theater background. I spent a mm-hmm. lot of years, um, playing a lot of musicals. I've probably played the piano for 20 to 30 different musicals, most of the classic ones. But um, I remember sitting in a rehearsal and the director who was directing one of the um, performers, and he said to the performer, he said, the reason that we're, the reason that we sing, the reason the composer or the creator makes you sing is because the the emotions that you are experiencing in that moment cannot be expressed with simple words. Mm-hmm. And that that mm-hmm. moment, I mean, that was probably almost 40 years ago, but that moment stuck with me. And I do think there is something, and I'm I'm not, I'm definitely not a Bible scholar or a theologian. Um, but I do think there is something in that idea that by connecting our thoughts and our emotions, somehow we are expressing something that cannot be expressed purely in words. And I think that's why we like to sing. And I think that's that's why a child just erupts in joyful song. Or that's why when you are really sad, um, you might go out in the woods and sing a lament. Mm-hmm. And even if you can't, like even if the sounds that come from your throat aren't beautiful sounds, in your heart, there is some kind of singing that's happening. So I do think there is this um, idea that what we have to say is deeper than what we can say with without those melodies under us. Mm. And it's, 
I don't know. Just somebody, an idea that I have and I've been playing with in my mind. Yeah, along the same lines, somebody once kind of gave this analogy of, you know, you can you can read you can read words, not even out loud, but read them and understand them. Then the next level you can read them out loud and have others hear. You know, so if I'm looking at a song and I see this line, no guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. Mm. And I read that out loud. That means something. But now if I sing it, there's some sort of resonance in my soul that's going to connect with me. And if I do that acapella, no guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. Oh, that catches something. Now if I play a guitar with it, now if mm -hmm. I put instrumentation to it mm -hmm. and music, there's just layer upon layer upon layer right. that and, connects. And even I'll just say, like, Mark, you just sang that, but you sang it as an example. You know what I mean? It's almost like you diagrammed a sentence. Mm -hmm. The sentence really didn't mean anything. But I know that if you had sung that with that connection from your soul mm -hmm. of your relationship with Christ, there would have been emotion charged in mm -hmm. this room. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. it was nice. I mean, you're yeah. a great singer, so it's beautiful to listen to. But if you had connected emotionally with that, it would have brought a different energy and it mm -hmm. would have meant something and it would have moved my heart. Like mm -hmm. I, I can physically, when that emotional connection is there, at least me as an artist, when when the singer has an emotional connection, even if the voice isn't beautiful, um, there is something that comes out in that moment. Mm. And I taught music for a long time and I, I've worked with, Mike watched me coach a, a music theater student one time. And when, when the coaching was over, Mike asked me this question. He said, why haven't other coaches brought that out in that person? And because there is something about connecting that emotion with that physical yeah. and mental exercise that just opens opens us up to something bigger and greater that I even, I can't even find the words right now to express. I'm hoping that my <laughs> voice is charged with that emotion because I'm feeling it so passionately and deeply inside myself. And, and talking about this idea of rehearsing the gospel or reorienting or re being reminded of these things, what better way to do that is then you're driving home from work and that song pops into mind. Or you're, and, and, you know, it, so what that then brings me to is the next thought is, well, what are we putting on people's lips to sing? <laughs> what is the content that is being presented in our gatherings here at Fellowship Bible Church, in our culture today, around the world? What are people singing when it comes to worship? Mm -hmm. And so, let's just briefly unpack what goes on behind the scenes of, because right now people aren't necessarily raising their hands in the middle of the corporate gathering time and say, I want to sing this song. Hmm. We've done that sometimes before in Fellowship 3, but we are choosing these songs strategically and critically to, to do what? what? So where do we go and how do, where do these songs come from of each and every time we gather? Yeah, so just kind of back up. The songs are um, just a way, you know, another reason why we sing are the songs are a way to, to take what happened in the service into the week with us because hmm. you can remember a song much better than, you know, if someone just recited something to you or, or teaching. Um, I mean, if Mark Harry cracks a really good joke, you, yeah, might, you, might, you might remember that. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we, we do take um, a, a great, um, realize it's a great responsibility 
of the songs that we're putting on the, the lips of the congregation. And we do um, um, value songs that, that teach deep truth, uh, that are biblically, biblically accurate, that um, are songs that will really do what, again, what Paul's saying here is, is encouraging us to live lives of worship. So, um, you know, we have, we have a list of, of kind of criteria for picking songs and kind of how we um, place them in the service and everything. But really, ultimately, that's what we're trying to do. We're, we're trying to prepare people for a life of worship and um, the songs help encourage that. And, uh, you know, we, we, we don't just sing trite lyrics. We don't sing uh, just what's popular and on the radio um, we don't even sing. We just had a discussion last week. I brought up an older song of the faith, and I was asking the team that that makes these choices. I said, "Why don't we sing this older song of the faith?" And it was really fascinating to me to listen to how, uh, like Mike and Mark challenged me back on some of the lyrics, and for me to say, "Well, this is what the lyric means to me," and then to say back to me, "But is that what the lyrics really saying?" I mean, I, I appreciated the challenge, and I think that people need to be aware that we really do challenge each other in that way, and we really do ask those very hard questions about things that even might be meaningful to us because we view them through a certain lens. The question has to be, well, how will a young believer view that, and is that what how you want a young believer to view their relationship with God? I just think it's really important. And it's fun to debate. I it mean, is. It is fun to argue, it's, it's not, especially because we know bad. we love each other, yeah. right? So we can yeah. fight. <laughs> I, there's something that we created years and years ago, almost 10 years ago now, but this sung theology concept um, is a culmination of the song list that we have here at FBC. It's meant to be a well-balanced mixture of proper doctrine, descriptive attributes of God, and responses in multiple forms of praise. And so we kind of put some words together that we want them to be biblical, singable, memorable, teachable and relatable. And we can unpack that, but it, we don't really have to. We'll, we'll post it somewhere online for you guys to look at. But those are just some key things that we're wrestling with all the time of just, it's not just one component of the song that grabs us that it's on the radio or that it, other churches are doing it. We're going to look critically. And and I know we've even sent some song lyrics to other pastors mm-hmm. here um, at FBC say, hey, look at this critically. What do you think this means? Um, and really dig into it. And if we think that it's something that is uh, not biblically based, we're going to throw it away and yeah. not come back to it. Yeah, I mean, there's a song that that I've been lis- listening to recently, and it's just I, I really like the writing, and it's a enjoyable song to listen to. And you know, I was kind of looking at it now through the lens of is this something that our congregation can sing? And there's there's one line in it that I don't think matches up with what Scripture says is true. So. And we, we we won't sing it, yeah, because we we don't we, we we can't put bad theology on the lips of our, our in the hearts and minds of our, our congregation. Yeah, and I don't know if it's the same song, but you brought a song to the team recently, Mike, and um, you played the song, and we got to the end of listening to it, and it was funny. Mark Francis and I both grabbed onto the same line in the song that we weren't sure about. 
Um, Ben Samford is also part of our team. And Ben and Mike didn't have a problem with that line, but they had a problem with a different line. And I think the I, I mean, it wasn't long after that till Mike said, never mind. And I think that 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 was an example of a time where when two when things started to layer upon each other that we weren't sure about that content, it, we just right away it went in the trash heap, basically. Mm, yeah. And one thing that we've started to introduce is this idea of a song spotlight. And and we're doing it because we we're hoping that as a church we can grab onto at least one song during a period of time during the course of six to eight weeks that maybe we can memorize as a family. Maybe we can um, understand some of the components of where the song came from, and it's hopefully a song that will be lasting. So walk us through what that is looking like and kind of where that vision came from, Mike. Yeah, so uh, we certainly want to sing together as not just the, the large gathering, but small groups, and then even in our families. Um, that, that's important. And the idea of kind of passing the torch to the next generation, that's one of the, 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 the um, four. four priorities that the, yeah. the elders have um, wanted us to focus on. So this idea of passing the torch to next generation got me thinking of, you know, what, what songs are we teaching our, our children that will be songs for their lifetime. Hmm. You know, that that they're not just gonna sing, you know, when they're in second or third grade, but are songs that they learn and when they're 70 and 80, they're they're still singing. And and someone said that we should our, our songs should help prepare people for life, but they should also help prepare them for death. Hmm. And those hmm. songs hmm. should be songs that we're holding on to when we're um, at the end of our life, and that's our, you know, where we find our hope. Um, so, what what are these songs that that we want to make sure that we pass on to the next generation? And uh, that that's kind of what inspired us to to do this song spotlight, where we can teach a song intentionally, um, where we can sing it regularly enough that that we get it and hold on to it. Um, that it's easy enough that that families can sing it together, and that we also resource families and small groups um, to um, kind of incorporate that into their life of worship. Mm-hmm. So, you know, where where did these ideas come from in Scripture? Um, what what is this encouraging me to do um, as a believer? Mm-hmm. Um, how how's it encouraged me to live my life as a act of worship? Um, you know. How can we pray differently because of this song? Uh, some of those those hmm. ideas that we want to really keep in front of people. Neat. I mean, I remember, and a lot of our our songs that we know that are memorized in our head come from when we grew up, or mm-hmm. when you first become a believer, and when you're getting immersed in in that. And I have so many songs that I have memorized that are straight scripture that mm-hmm. I love. I mean, yeah, they're King James version, so I've got <laughs> to be quoting that to you as I do it. But mm-hmm. and I also remember there's some songs that I still can recall and I'm like, that's not really saying too much. <laughs> you know? And and so I appreciate where we're doing here. So for families and for children and for anybody who's coming to our gatherings, the songs that we're singing are going to be deep in truth. They're going to be rich straight from scripture that are going to be encouraging us for the lifetime. You know, like I love that preparing us for death also. Well and I think um like I think I mean I've never been one of these people that oh I need to hear this song story. 
But in in just the course of the couple of song spotlights that we've done, um, having the opportunity to really dig into who wrote that song and why did they wrote it, write it, particularly particularly crown him with many crowns, the one we just did. The idea that the man who wrote that, I've always considered that like this big, triumphant, powerful piece of music, you know? Mm. And the man who wrote that was contemplating the crown of thorns. And then really, if you read the 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 article that, that was written about it at all, the looking at the paradoxes in there, you know, and then I had never even contemplated the idea that when we get to heaven, we're going to have renewed bodies, but guess what wounds we are going to see? Mm-hmm. We're going to see Christ's wounds are still going to be visible. Mm-hmm. That idea just impacted me mm. tremendously this Easter in my own personal walk. And every time for now, from now for the rest of my life, anytime I sing that song, crown him with many crowns, that line, rich wounds yet visible mm. above, before I think those were just words to me. Mm. And now they mean something to me and they say something to me theologically that they didn't say before. Yeah, that's cool. Well, be on the lookout. We're going to be introducing another song here in the next couple of weeks as our song spotlight. And I, I just hope that it impacts the body in a way that will encourage families to worship together, encourage people to to have on the lips of their tongues, you know, when they're driving down the road, walking down the street or coming to church, lyrics like that, that will impact us and point us to Christ because that's what it's all about is that we want to put the spotlight on God each and every time we gather. And, and hopefully you're doing that during the course of your life. Mm. That is a life of service and worship to him. And um, as I wrap up, I'm reminded of something that's in writing uh, that is a call of our worship ministry. And this will read it because I think it summarizes our entire conversation here. But the worship ministry here at FBC is called to challenge the FBC body to love God more fully by providing corporate worship gatherings that remind us of, one, what God has done to bring us into a relationship with himself, through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Two, that celebrate the communion now possible with God. Three, that give attention to his word. And four, that call us to recommit to live within the grace of this relationship with God and with with each other. So in other words, we want to call FBC to reorient our lives around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And that is that is our call. Isn't that Romans 12? I think right so. There? There, there it is. Yeah. So yeah. there is the prescription yeah. for our worship time. Thanks so much, guys, for listening and watching. And hopefully you can participate with us by sharing your thoughts. We always want to have stories beyond this particular fellowship um, podcast. And, and keep uh, a lookout for the next ones that will be dropping. We're going to be sharing some stories of some staff members here at church and um, different different things that are moving in, in the FBC staff that you'll be encouraged by um, and hear stories from them. So look, look for that next couple of weeks. And um, for all of the podcast networks and channels that you're watching us on YouTube or Spotify or the Apple playlist, just feel free to look in the show notes and uh, let us know what you think. So. Thanks so much for watching and listening. And until we chat again, let Christ be the focus of your life each and every day.